Hello and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at @getearfuel and at the Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel and at getearfuel.com. This week, I've got a bit of a quiz lined up for you. But before that, the brand new Kendrick Lamar album dropped the other day, and we have to check that out. Now, the reason we have to look at this album is because it's the follow-up to his brilliant 2015 album, To Pimp a Butterfly, and that was the follow-up to his great 2012 album, Good Kid, Mad City, which, well, it's quite a streak he's going on. Kendrick Lamar is just one of those performers that you have to pay attention to, and the new release is simply titled Damn. He announced the existence of this album just a few weeks ago, but to be honest, I stayed away from the singles and any news about the record. I really wanted to experience this one completely unknown. And I'll say this right off the bat, this record is far more straightforward than To Pimp a Butterfly. It's got a better flow from song to song, yet each track is a story onto itself. That's one thing to note here. This is very much a story album. Slight spoiler here, but the beginning of the record implies that Kendrick is shot and killed and that the album is sort of him looking back on his life, that whole idea of your life flashing before your eyes. But even without this knowledge, you can easily interpret it as the album plays out, and there are these brilliant moments where you can almost feel his exhaustion. I know it might sound weird, but within hip-hop, it is damn difficult to convey this sort of emotion. It's not that he slows down or anything like that but the feeling comes across so clearly, and I really dug that. The beats and orchestrations on the album are exceptional almost across the board. There are a few tracks that did nothing for me musically, but that was maybe one or two songs across the 14 that he presents on Damn. I understand why the first two songs are on the album and why they're at the top, but they're actually my least favorite. The guts, the middle of this album, that's where it really shines. Songs like Feel and Pride are fantastic, and Element is one of the most devastating lyrics I've heard in a long time. But you can't talk about this album without talking about the song Fear. This track is just... I mean, look, seeing a seven-minute runtime on a rap track is very rare, but this is something beyond phenomenal. The flow, the theme, the backing sound, it's, it's heart-wrenching and head-bobbing at the same time. I was actually a bit disappointed that Fear was not the last song on the album. It felt like the perfect ending, and as good as the final two tracks are, I already had my moment of catharsis during this song, and I don't know, I feel like those last two tracks just didn't hit like it would have if they were somewhere else in the album. Fear is just one of those tracks everybody needs to hear. Absolutely my favorite moment on the album, and it's been a long time since I liked a hip-hop track this much. Damn goes all over the place musically, though, touching on the soulful, almost psychedelic sounds, all the way to more hardcore rap styles, and that's one of the things that makes Kendrick Lamar so unique. He's more mellow on this record, but he's just as angry, or, or to borrow a line, give me any record and I'll flip it any style, and Damn shows an exceptional MC at the top of his game. At one point, he laments, quote, the pain in my heart, carrying the burden for the struggle. And that feeling is strong throughout. Whether he's calling out Fox News for their assertion that hip-hop is worse than racism, or ruminating on how others want him to be and how they want him to act, or if he's dropping lines like, quote, I can't fake humble because your ass is insecure. He leaves no stone unturned, and on many levels, I feel like this record is closing a chapter in his life, like he's settling all debts. 
I know lots of people are already hailing this as the greatest rap album of the decade, and I'm not saying it's bad by any means because it's not. But I do feel this record falls a bit short of perfection, as there are a few tracks that, I'm sorry, they're misses. Regardless, this is a damn good record that everyone needs to spend some time with, so go grab yourself a copy and dig in. This week, I want to introduce a new segment, and I'm calling it, wait, 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 shh, 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 you got to hear this part. That's the name of the segment. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, and this week, I want you to check out this rad moment from the Ruts song, Something That I Said. It's, oh, this is one of my favorite openings ever, and it's, you know, along with the killer riff, there's just this, there's this thing with the cymbals and just, shh, you got to hear this part. Oh, how awesome was that? Yeah, that's all there is to the segment. Really cool parts of songs I adore because, well, I want to. Moving on. Today, I'm going to change things up a bit and try and make things as interactive as I can through this medium. That is to say, we're going to have a bit of a quiz or a game show or something in between with this episode, and the topic is going to be songs you might not realize are actually from soundtracks. No, we are not going near The Bodyguard or that god-awful song from Titanic. Don't worry. But there are some absolutely huge hits from the last few decades that lots of people forget were either only on soundtracks or broke big on soundtracks before appearing on later albums from the artist in question. And in some cases, these were the songs that made those artists household names. So, without any further ado, it is time to play, um, the ear fuel song guessy game thing. Yeah, that's the official title now, so don't forget to keep score. This first one is going to be an easy one, so it's only worth one point. This is going to help us kind of get warmed up and help you figure out the concept I'm going for here. For this song, we are headed back to 1967 and the second movie directed by the great Mike Nichols. And this is one of his most famous. I mean, this is a huge movie. It's almost always listed when people do their like top 10 and top 15 greatest movies ever. This one's in there. The song in question was written by a duo that was already very well established by this point. They had a trio of top five singles under their belts. But this song would go to the top of the charts, and then it would be the anchor of the album they released about a year after the film came out. Any ideas yet? Nope. Okay, well, the movie's main characters are named Benjamin Braddock, and, oh, you know what? Actually, as soon as I name the other main character, you're going to know the song because the song is named after her. Do you know the song? Got five seconds to guess. Four, three, so much tension. Two, one. Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel appeared on the soundtrack to the movie The Graduate, and it came out about a year before it was included on their bookends record. As the story goes, Paul Simon wasn't really into the idea at first because he felt like movie soundtracks were a bit of a sellout. Makes sense. But after reading the script, he agreed to write some songs. They had a couple of meetings with Mike Nichols, but he really didn't like any of the songs that Simon and Garfunkel were bringing. Eventually, though, he was presented with an early version of a song they were calling Mrs. Roosevelt, and he loved it. So they changed the name to fit the film, and an American classic was born. So you see where I'm going with this game, right? Good. Let's get into it, and again, 
keep score. This next song is worth two points, and it comes from a 1980 film, and the soundtrack was actually produced by the great Giorgio Moroder. The movie didn't do so well, but the song, I mean, the song is a monster hit that still gets regular airplay around the globe. It's, I mean, it's just a fantastic song. It's one of the best in the catalog of a band that cut their teeth at CBGB in New York City in the late 70s. You know what? I actually don't think the name of this film matters. No Googling. The movie is called American Gigolo, which starred Richard Gere and Lauren Hutton. No help. I know. When it was released, the song shot up to the top of the charts and stayed there for six weeks before being booted by the song Funky Town. Oh, and Giorgio Moroder originally wanted Stevie Nicks to record the song, but she heard the rough instrumental and she didn't really like it. Any idea on the song? All right, well, here's a big hint. The group is Blondie. Yeah, this is a Blondie song. Five seconds. Four, three, a two, a one. That's right. Call Me was a soundtrack cut. It actually never appeared on any normal Blondie release, just some of the greatest hits and compilations later. And there are actually three very distinct versions of the song, with the album cut clocking in at just over eight minutes, and the radio edit that everybody knows being the three-and-a-half-minute version. According to Debbie Harry, she was presented with that rough instrumental that Marauder was calling Man Machine, and within a few hours, she'd written a melody and the lyrics to the song. How can you not love this song? Oh, right, that third version. Yeah, kind of sounds like this. At the request of their record labels, they recorded the entire track in Spanish, and then Debbie Harry would eventually also perform the original version on The Muppet Show. How cool is that? Just love that song. It never ages to me. On to the next track. Since we're talking about massive songs that everyone knows, there are a few songs that better defined the R&B movement of the early 90s than this next one. But I think it's a bit more difficult, so I'm going to give you two points if you get this one right. The film in question is 1992's Boomerang, which starred Eddie Murphy and Halle Berry. And no, the song in question is not PM Dawn's I Die Without You. I know you're all thinking that one, but it also did debut on the soundtrack of this movie. The song we are talking about comes from a group that was relatively new, but had managed a pair of top three singles the previous year. Also of note is the fact that the runaway success of this song caused the group to re-release their debut record, including this song, as a bonus track. Let's see, what other clues can I give you? Well, uh, it won both the Best R&B Performance and Best R&B Song Grammys in 1993, and along with being the biggest-selling single of 1992, it was the sixth-biggest-selling single of the entire decade. This is a really big song. I mean, think about the huge songs of the 90s and know that this one was the sixth-biggest. If you still can't figure it out, one last hint. The title of the group's first single was basically a nod to their hometown, which is a major U.S. city on the East Coast. All right, time to guess. No more clues. In five, four, three, two, one. Boys 
Ladies to Men's End of the High School Dance Classic End of the Road was absolutely 100% a soundtrack single. While they'd had decent chart success with the songs Motown Philly and It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, this was the song that vaulted them to superstardom, and way too many TV shows have used the song over the decades, and radio stations. I mean, everybody knows this song, but if you knew it was originally from the movie Boomerang, go ahead and give yourself two points and a pat on the back. On to the next song. I'm going to give you the artist here, because trust me, it's not going to help you much. The artist is Phil Collins, okay? The guy has more than a dozen top ten singles as a solo performer, basically dominating each year of the 80s with at least one hit single. So, like I said, knowing the artist here isn't going to do you too much good. And no, it's not in the air tonight, so don't start your air drum solo, because you know you want to. Now, I can't tell you the name of the film, because it shares the name with this song. Was that a giveaway? Eh, probably not. I mean, not to slam the guy, but how many people know the Phil Collins singles catalog that well? This song was actually his first number one single in the U.S., and it was what really broke him as a solo artist in the U.S. also, if that helps you. This is a song that has a ridiculously catchy piano intro, but, I mean, I suppose to some extent that's why Phil Collins is Phil Collins. The guy knows how to write. I will say that the chorus of this one is one of those songs that karaoke folks love to belt out, even though on the original he doesn't get super intense until the end, but, you know, karaoke happens, right? Anyway, one more catch. The name of the song is not sung in the chorus, and most people get the title wrong because of that. Any guesses? You know what, I think I'm going to make this one a two-pointer as well, because now that I think about it, this is sort of tough. It's a Jeff Bridges movie, and it's technically a remake of the 1947 Robert Mitchum film, Out of the Past. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Answer in five, four, you know how to count, two, song. So take a look at me now. There's just an empty space. Most people call this song, Take a Look at Me Now, which is the subtitle of the song. It's technically called Against All Odds, as is the film in question. And yes, this was his first number one song in the U.S. For whatever reason, while In the Air Tonight dominated across the globe, it only got to number 19 in the U.S., and his other big singles, Can't Hurry Love and I Don't Care Anymore, only hit number 10 and 39 respectively in the States. However, following the success of Against All Odds, 12 of his next 15 singles broke the top 10, with 11 of them in the top five. So if there was any question when the U.S. fell in love with Phil Collins, it was on the heels of this soundtrack song. Now, if you were anywhere between, I don't know, like 12 and 40 in 1994, chances are you thoroughly enjoy the movie Reality Bites, right? I mean, Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Janine Garofalo, Susie Kurtz, Ben Stiller. I think Renee Zellweger was in that too, but the soundtrack... The soundtrack is so damn awesome. You got Lenny Kravitz, Dinosaur Jr., Crowded House, Juliana Hatfield, and oh, then there's that really big song, and no, not Big Mountain's rendition of Baby I Love Your Way, and no, I'm not talking about My Sharona or Tempted. Wow, that soundtrack is really good now that I read that off. It's the other song we're talking about here the one that suddenly made an unknown singer a household name after it sold nearly a million copies. And this song also holds a very special place in music history in terms of how unique it was when it hit number one on the Billboard charts. 
Honestly, when it comes to opening notes that define an entire moment in time, it's tough to top this one, as the guitar progression is more than instantly recognizable, and there are parts of the lyric that every alternatine and heartbroken person memorized. Okay, come on and guess so I can play the opening for one point in five, four, three, two... Wonderful Lisa Loeb, technically Lisa Loeb in Nine Stories, with the unforgettable song Stay. While she'd recorded a few albums before this, Lisa Loeb holds the distinction of being the first unsigned artist to ever have a number one single. She was actually the only person to ever have this honor until Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's thrift shop did the same a few years ago. As the story goes, Ethan Hawke was a neighbor and friend of Lisa in New York City, and he got a tape of the song which he gave to Reality Bites director Ben Stiller. And the rest is history. The song remains great all these years later. So how are you faring points-wise? I mean, it's not all about points because, honestly, I actually forgot one of these was originally in a movie first. There were seven points available thus far, with Boys to Men and Phil Collins being twofers. Just a few more, and the next one is for two. And it's because, again, pulling the right song from this catalog is going to be tough. In fact, this one is so tricky that I'm going to go ahead and give you the artist and the film before you have to guess. In terms of the artist, with nearly 40 top 10 singles since 1982. Yeah, 40. She, you know, I mean, do I really need to say anything more? You know Madonna's numbers when you hear them. Nobody has that sort of longevity and quality over that period not named Madonna. So we know the artist is Madonna, and I'm going to get this one out of the way. It's not Who's That Girl. It's not from Dick Tracy. We're not talking about those movies. Different film. Now, when this single was released back in 1985, she'd already released her self-titled and Like a Virgin albums with four top ten singles in just two years. So she was very much known. And that's why the movie in question is a bit strange. It was called Vision Quest. And Madonna actually makes a cameo appearance, which was her first on film. Anyway, the song was so huge that in a few countries, they actually renamed the soundtrack to the name of the song so that it would sell better, because the movie did not do so well. Technically, this is also Madonna's first ballad single, and it snagged her her first Grammy nomination. For me, this is a song where you can almost feel the disco ball slowly spinning at the beginning, and it's very much a product of the 80s, but still a great song. So you've got a ton to go on here. Which Madonna number one never appeared on any of her albums except for greatest hits collections? The answer coming in five, four, three, two, Madge. Hard to believe, but that's the song that really opened Madonna's career to non-dance tracks. Granted, she hasn't released a ton of ballads over the years, but this is the beginning, and it's also where she got onto the big screen for the first time. Crazy For You sold more than 2 million copies in the U.S. alone, and in many ways it helped to bridge the gap between Material Girl and Into the Groove as singles. It's not bad company to keep. 
So while Madonna has tons of unforgettable singles, this one was only a soundtrack cut. Two more songs and then it's tally time. This next one was such a big song that for a few months in the year 2000, I feel like you just couldn't get away from it. By the time this song came out, the singing trio that are responsible for it already had four top three singles, with two hitting the top spot. I will say that this group had a somewhat annoying trend of repeating the song title way too many times during their songs, but, well, I suppose that's what pop music is all about sometimes. The song would eventually appear on the group's third album, and in some ways, it can actually be seen as a brilliant marketing strategy for that record. It spent 11 weeks at the top of the charts, a full year before it came out on the group's record. Not a bad lead single. But it was also the lead single for the soundtrack to, wait for it, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, the reboot movie thing they did. Any guesses yet? Not even kidding you. In the heavily rotated remix version, they actually say the cast members' names in the song. Prepare for your reveal in five seconds. Three, two, four. Not to slam Destiny's Child, but those songs got pretty repetitive for me. But I hear one of them had a halfway decent solo career. They actually did some super smart marketing around this since it was already on their third album. Along with putting it on the soundtrack, they released a second version of the single about three months later, giving it another huge boost in sales, and that led perfectly into the proper album release schedule. This song was just huge, and sorry, it's probably going to be stuck in your head for a few days, unless of course the final song can knock it out, which it probably can. Let's get into that. The final song is actually going to be a bit difficult on me, because the song has had an unexpected new life over the last few years thanks to, yeah... I'm not going to give it away that easily. It originated on the soundtrack to a really, really, really popular 1986 movie. And the song is so synonymous with that film that I can't say the name. Seriously, there is no way to separate one from the other, but don't get confused. They do not share the same name. Now, the soundtrack, well, this song specifically, was co-written and produced by Giorgio Moroder. But this song is miles from Blondie's Call Me in terms of both sound and style. I'll also say that this song was originally slated to be recorded by the band Toto, but their lawyers got in the way and it never happened. Brian Adams and REO Speedwagon also declined to perform the song for different reasons, so it eventually fell to the man who made it famous. One more hint. The singer of this song scored top 10 singles with songs written for two other 80s box office hits. Time to guess for two points. In five, four, three, two, Lana. Mr. Kenny Loggins and the unforgettable song Danger Zone from Top Gun. Loggins also wrote hit songs for the movies Caddyshack and Footloose and, you know, all of his other huge hits over the years. These days, it's hard to hear that song without quoting the cartoon Archer, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But Danger Zone just might be the biggest soundtrack-only song ever. Maybe. So how'd you do? There were a total of 12 points available. 
Hit me on Twitter at, at @getearfuel and at the Daily Guru with your score and what your favorite soundtrack song is. And maybe we'll do this again sometime. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your weekly Earfuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each week I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the fact that these days, music has been largely relegated to a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're driving, you're whatever, and this assignment is all about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of the music alone. This week, since Ian Mackay just celebrated his birthday the other day, your assignment is Minor Threat's self-titled release. Now this is technically a compilation album, as it's actually the Minor Threat EP on side A and the In My Eyes EP on side B. Combined, they have 12 songs clocking in at a whopping 17 minutes. But what a 17 minutes they are. This is, as far as I'm concerned, for all intents and purposes, the very definition of the hardcore sound and the blueprint for the entire musical movement that followed. The album is a blisteringly fast fury of musical mastery, going far beyond a term like straightforward. There is absolutely zero filler on any of these songs, and the intensity is unlike that of any earlier recording in history, save maybe Iggy Pop. Drummer Jeff Nelson is out of his mind good on this album, pushing the pace faster and faster. It's often his work that really ignites the frenzy of the tracks. Then again, all four musicians are in top form, and oh yeah, this record was released after the band broke up. There was just so much energy and power in Minor Thread, it just couldn't last long, and honestly, I think it's better that way. All the songs you need to understand hardcore are here. Seeing Red, Bottled Violence, Guilty of Being White, In My Eyes, and of course, the anthemic Out of Step and the title song. Also on this record is the track Straight Edge, which inadvertently inspired the movement of the same name. Ian basically wrote the song about his personal lifestyle at the time, abstaining from drugs and alcohol, and it caught on big time and remains a sect of punk rock to this day. These songs are hard-hitting and unrelenting, but it's miles from sonic chaos. Each track is a laser-focused and packs a knockout punch. These songs inspire, and for many, remind us that we're not alone in our beliefs or musical taste. Simply put, there is no other band in history on the same level as Minor Threat, and their self-titled full-length is an album required for every music fan. So go carve out 20 minutes and check this one out right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed the soundtrack quizorama. As always, the podcast is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores, along with at getearfuel.com. That is your weekly earfuel. Share and enjoy. Thank <laughs> you.